Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, June 15th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. The UN says a record 110 million are displaced worldwide. Washington launches a push to cool relations with Tehran. Putin claims Ukraine's counteroffensive is failing. The U.S. Fed pumps the brakes on rate hikes. Amnesty reports possible war crimes in Gaza fighting. Meta unveils human-like AI image creation. A judge clears the way for more damages in Trump's E. Jean Carroll case. The Microsoft Activision blockbuster merger is paused. Malaysia asks Interpol to pursue an American comedian over a joke. And Reuters says the public is losing its news appetite. According to a special report from the UN, a record 110 million people are displaced worldwide. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, France 24, DW, The National, and Reuters. The head of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, or the UNHCR, Filippo Grandi, said on Wednesday that a record 110 million people worldwide had been displaced from their homes due to conflict, persecution, discrimination, and climate-related upheaval. This marks another surge triggered by the Sudan conflict, following a 19.1 million increase in displaced people in 2021 to 108.4 million by the end of last year, the largest annual increase on record, according to the UNHCR Forced Displacement Report released on Wednesday. Of the displaced, 62.5 million people are considered internally displaced, while 35.3 million were classified as refugees crossing international borders, with the number of Ukrainian refugees swelling from 27,300 by the end of 2021 to 5.7 million in late 2022, the report said. The UN report also shows that about 87% of all refugees last year originated from just 10 countries, led by Syria which accounts for 6.5 million refugees, or nearly one-fifth of the global total, followed by Ukraine at 5.7 million and Afghanistan at 5.7 million. Among the countries hosting the most refugees, Turkey at 3.6 million ranks first, followed by Iran at 3.4 million, Colombia at 2.5 million, Germany at 2.1 million, Pakistan at 1.7 million, and Uganda at 1.5 million. Amid growing tensions in an increasingly polarized world, finding common ground on solutions for the rising number of people displaced is proving ever more difficult, Grandi told reporters, calling the report, quote, an indictment on the state of our world. Thank you, Eric, for laying out the facts on our first story. I'm going to start off our first round of narrative spins with an establishment critical narrative brought to us by the Dhaka Tribune. It's by no means the world's rich countries, but the low- and middle-income countries, many of which themselves suffer from poverty and crisis that continue to bear by far the greatest burden of hosting displaced people. Moreover, while Western countries pursue increasingly restrictive refugee policies, there's a lack of funding for international refugee programs. Much greater international assistance and a more equitable distribution of responsibilities are needed to support refugees and allow them to return home safely and with dignity. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from Reuters. The UNHCR's new data on displaced people are a wake-up call 
for the international community to step up its efforts in protecting people who have fled war and crises. Even if many states are not living up to their responsibilities under the Geneva Refugee Convention, there are indeed some positive developments. These include the deal reached a few days ago by EU members to revise the bloc's asylum procedures to share responsibility for migrants and refugees. This will not solve all problems, but it is an important step in the right direction. Eric, I heard that you were hosting some refugees at your home. We're having a huge block party, and you're invited. Oh, yeah? Can I bring my refugees? Absolutely. Adam plus 20. (laughs) (laughs) Want to help us improve the news? Go to www.improvethenews.org forward slash pod. Take a quick survey and tell us what you think. Now back to the news. According to recent reports, the U.S. and Iran have been holding indirect meetings. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Wall Street Journal, Axios, Reuters, The Times of Israel, and Associated Press. According to several published reports, the U.S. has restarted informal talks with Iran about releasing American prisoners and slowing the Islamic Republic's growing nuclear program. White House officials have reportedly traveled to Oman at least three times since talks restarted in New York in December, with Omani officials serving as intermediaries. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who opposes an overreaching New Deal with Iran, recently told the Knesset Foreign Relations and Security Committee about the discussions he says include a request for Iran to not enrich uranium above 60% in exchange for the U.S. releasing billions of dollars in Iranian funds and a prisoner exchange. An unnamed U.S. official said earlier this week that there had been no talks about an interim nuclear deal, but the U.S. has let Iran know actions it can take to calm the antagonism between the two countries. This echoes a spokesperson for the Iranian foreign ministry who said on Monday that his country isn't interested in an interim nuclear deal, but that it would consider re-entering the parameters of the 2015 nuclear deal, which the U.S. pulled out of in 2018. Meanwhile, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi is on a tour of Latin America, where he used his stop in Nicaragua to rail against U.S. sanctions that he claims are meant to, quote, paralyze our people, but it hasn't been able to do it. Thank you, Adam, for those facts. The first spin for this story is a Republican narrative coming from Red State. It's already been proven that deals made with Iran do nothing to stop its nuclear program and only allow it to funnel money to terrorist organizations that threaten the U.S. and Israel. These bribes to cool relations with Iran will achieve little more than the polarization of Washington's true allies, Israel and Saudi Arabia, jeopardizing its influence in the region. And that's going to be followed up with a Democratic narrative brought to us by Just Security. This is the perfect time for the U.S. to engage Iran, as the Republic recently began acquiescing to some requests for transparency of its nuclear program from the International Atomic Energy Agency. Biden might not have much support at his back for diplomacy from Iran, but talks are a better alternative to an Iranian nuclear program that's left to run wild. And a pro-Iran spin is coming from Tasnim News Agency. Iran has the legal right to a peaceful nuclear program. The lifting of some sanctions is welcomed, but not enough. If the 2015 nuclear deal is to be reinstated, all sanctions must be removed, and the U.S. must not be able to unilaterally leave the deal again. And from time to time, we get statistics-based nerd narratives from our friends at the Metaculous Prediction Community. 
They have an opinion on this story, and they think there's a 3% chance that the U.S. will rejoin the Iran nuclear deal by 2024. I don't know what sort of backstock that you have, but most, if not all, of my uranium has been enriched over 60%. I've Most of mine's around 65 to 70%. You just hooked that up to car batteries and just kind of like powers it up is that like recharging a battery type thing well actually i've got, I've got a um I've, I've got a contraption hooked up to my um stationary bike mm. and i'm able to pedal and generate power and and enrich the uh, uranium at the same time enriching the uranium while knocking off those pounds way to go eric you know, i'm all about green you know let's protect the earth let's save the world <laughs> In our next story, Putin claims Ukraine's counteroffensive is failing. And here are the facts as agreed upon by the president of Russia, Guardian, BBC News, Ukraine Forum, and Ukraine's Kapravda. In the first meeting of its type during the 15-month Russia-Ukraine war, Russian President Putin hosted a range of journalists and war bloggers for televised questioning on Russia's progress in its so-called special military operation on Tuesday. The talks covered if and how Russia's objectives have changed since the conflict started, delved into Putin's assessments of the breach at the Novokakovka Dam, and discussed sensitive areas including Ukrainian attacks in Russian territory and problems in Russia's weapons supply lines. Putin also publicly addressed Ukraine's counteroffensive for only the second time since it was launched on June 4th, again alleging it has failed despite Ukrainian claims of territorial gains. Quote, this is a massive counteroffensive using strategic reserves that were prepared for this task, he said, suggesting that Ukrainian forces, quote, are approaching a level that could be described as catastrophic. However, Putin, in a rare move, also admitted Russia's shortcomings in the course of the war. He conceded that Russia was short of high-precision ammunition, communications equipment, aircraft, drones, and so on, while stating that Moscow could have better anticipated Ukrainian attacks on its border regions of Belgorod, Bryansk, and Kursk. He said he was considering whether to create a Ukrainian territory, a kind of sanitary zone at such a distance from which it would be impossible to get our territory. Nonetheless, despite Putin's claims on Ukraine's counteroffensive, Ukraine's military claimed to have continued making territorial gains in a statement on Wednesday alleging that its forces have moved between 200 meters, or 660 feet, and 1.4 kilometers, 0.87 miles, in some areas of the front in three days of fighting. Meanwhile, another day of fighting has again claimed a toll on civilians. In the Odessa region, at least three civilians were killed and 10 more were injured after a Russian missile strike successfully penetrated missile defenses. In the Donetsk region, Russian missiles killed three civilians and wounded three more, one civilian was killed in attacks on Kherson region and in Kriviri, where a Tuesday missile attack initially claimed the lives of six civilians. The death toll on Wednesday was revised to 12. Thank you, Eric. We're going to start off with a pro-establishment narrative provided by BBC. Russia's figures are not accurate, and Putin's public statements on the war should not be taken seriously. Ukraine's forces have had modest success, and they are moving forward with their plans. They continue to make territorial gains. A pro-Russian narrative is coming from the official website of the Russian president. Putin's remarks are frank exchanges with a range of journalists and war bloggers. He tackled sensitive issues and gave his honest assessments of Russia's standing and objectives on multiple issues as it moves forward with achieving its goals. 
Ukraine is losing this war. And there's a nerd narrative that says there's a 4% chance that Ukraine will receive a security guarantee from another country before 2024. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. The U.S. Fed leaves its rates unchanged. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNBC, New York Post, Associated Press, CBS, Guardian, and CNN. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell announced Wednesday that the Federal Open Market Committee, or the FOMC, decided against raising the key interest rate for the 11th consecutive time, deciding to observe the economy at the current rate while signaling future hikes in 2023. The FOMC released a unanimous policy statement at the end of a two-day meeting, saying that holding the target interest rate range steady allows the committee to assess additional information and its implications for monetary policy. The benchmark rate still sits at a 16-year high of 5.1%, and Powell hinted that Wednesday's decision could be more of a skip instead of a pause on rate increases. The Fed could raise rates again as soon as next month and two more times this year. The Fed has been aggressive in its fight against rampant inflation, and its 10 consecutive rate heights have caused lending rates to skyrocket, with 30-year mortgage rates having increased from 3.1% to 6.8% since March 2022, increasing monthly payments by 50% on $300,000 homes. Inflation has been a major problem for the U.S. economy and reached a 40-year high last June at a rate of 9.1%, while inflation reached a two-year low of 4% in May. Powell projects that the economy has a long way to go before reaching the desired 2% inflation rate. The stock market had mixed reactions to the widely expected rate pause, rallying from early losses. The Dow Jones fell 231 points, or 0.7%, while the S&P 500 fell by 0.08%, and the Nasdaq rose 0.4%. Adam, thank you for those facts. Our first spin is an establishment critical narrative coming from Zero Hedge. The markets, just like the Fed itself, have no idea what's going on as the central bank continues its unsuccessful fight against inflation. Some may try to put a positive spin on the fact that Rates aren't increasing for the 11th consecutive time, but it's quite obvious that there isn't a lot of progress in bringing down core inflation, and rate hikes are all but guaranteed as soon as next month. There's a lot of volatility, and the only certainty is that inflation will remain and the Fed will hike rates yet again. There's also a pro-establishment narrative provided by CNN. While we're not out of the woods yet in the battle against inflation, there are signs that the American economy is heading in the right direction. The Fed's decision shows that inflation has slowed down enough to not need another rate hike and offers some breathing room to see the direction of inflation at the current rate. While inflation isn't going down as fast as many would like it to, it is going down nonetheless. And that's a reason to be optimistic. And the Metaculous Prediction community is giving us a nerd narrative they say there's a 7% chance that annual U.S. inflation will reach 100% in any year before the year 2050. Do you know what that means? Uh, that means a Big Mac is going to cost 40 bucks. Everything would double in price? Is that what it, <laughs> Yeah, it, I'm assuming. What do you think could cause infl U.S. inflation to reach 100%? Would it have to be some sort of catastrophic event? Like, I don't know. Jeez, I don't know. Meteor. Meteor. Had to be a meteor, yeah, right? Or a, uh, what do you call those? Um, EMPs. EMP that just shorts out all electronics. Right. 
Right. That could do it. Or just everybody forgets where their wallet is. Money disappears. How about that? See, that's the most likely scenario right there. That's the most likely scenario. (laughs) In our next story, Amnesty reports possible war crimes in Gaza fighting. And here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, France 24, I-24 News, and Associated Press. A report by the human rights group Amnesty International claimed that Israeli forces used disproportionate force during last month's conflict between Israel and Palestinian militants in Gaza. The report also said that rockets fired by Palestinian Islamic Jihad, or PIJ, killed both Israeli and Palestinian civilians. The London-based human rights group accused Israel of striking targets, quote, without military necessity which it said amounts to a form of collective punishment against the civilian population. It also accused Palestinian militant groups, namely PIJ, of indiscriminate rocket fire aimed at Israel that, quote, should also be investigated as war crimes. Nonetheless, PIJ said that it welcomes the report, saying in a statement that we are doing our part to defend ourselves against the crimes committed by Israel. Israel responded to Amnesty by saying that its military actions were defensive and it made numerous efforts to minimize harm to civilians in Gaza. Israel also accused Palestinian militants of operating in residential areas. The conflict erupted on May 9th, with Israel and Gazan militants exchanging airstrikes and rocket fire for five days, with 34 Palestinians being killed, which included several PIG commanders and one Israeli being killed. The situation in Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank has steadily deteriorated in the last year, with Israel launching regular raids in the West Bank following a spree of Palestinian attacks in Israel last spring. PIJ and Israel clashed last summer, with the group losing two top commanders and dozens of fighters. Eric, thanks for laying out the facts on that story. We're going to start off with a Narrative A spin brought to us by Amnesty International. Israel's actions during last month's war with Palestinian militants in Gaza again highlight the human toll of the country's apartheid policies. Several citizens were unnecessarily killed by Israeli airstrikes alongside an inordinate amount of destruction of property. Palestinian militants are, of course, not innocent either, as indiscriminate rocket fire must also be investigated for war crimes. Narrative B comes from Jerusalem Post. Yet again... Amnesty is showcasing its anti-Israel bias. Besides its repeated use of the slanderous apartheid label, it continues to push Palestinian propaganda that Israel disproportionately targets civilians, which is an outright lie. Israel does everything it can to avoid civilian casualties, while Palestinian militants indiscriminately attack Israeli civilians and use their civilians as human shields. I I guess, well... Both sides, can we just call it a wash? Both sides made a mistake. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's just move on. Right? Isn't that what, that's what they do in football? Like, there was a penalty on this side, yeah. penalty on this side, no play. So restart the clock, play the down over. <laughs> play the down over, that's right. Meta has unveiled its human-like AI image creation. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Silicon Angle, Ynet News, Decrypt, and Seeking Alpha. Meta Platforms announced on Tuesday that it would allow researchers access to components of a new human-like artificial intelligence, or AI, creation model that allegedly can analyze and complete unfinished images more accurately than existing models. 
The company's AI team further stated that it is introducing the Image Joint Embedding Predictive Architecture, or iJEPA, the first AI model based on the vision of its chief scientist, Yan Li Kun, to develop a new architecture to help machines learn faster, plan how to fulfill complex tasks, and easily adapt to unfamiliar situations. Contrasting to traditional generative models that are trained in extensive data sets, iJEPA aims to replicate human perception and common-sense reasoning by reducing visual images to abstract representations and using predictive learning. This comes as Meta's executives have downplayed warnings from others in the industry about the potential risks of the AI, refusing to sign a statement in May backed by top executives from OpenAI, DeepMind, Microsoft, and Google. Over the weekend, Meta released, via GitHub, its new music-generating tool, MusicGen, which uses AI to turn text descriptions into audio recordings after being trained using 20,000 hours of music. A demo version is available to try via the AI chat model community site, Hugging Face. The company has made significant breakthroughs since establishing its AI research lab in 2013, open-sourcing over 30 AI models and frameworks, including the leading AI programming language, PyTorch. Thank you, Adam. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from Yan Li Chen's Facebook page. The introduction of iJEPA is a landmark in the development of AI, revealing the potential of self-supervised learning architectures to overcome key limitations of state-of-the-art systems. Hopefully, this approach will prove to be extendable to other domains, including video understanding and image text paired data. That's going to be followed up with an establishment critical narrative provided by MakeTheUseOf.com. Though a lot of people are looking forward to the disruptive impact of AI on society, it's undeniable that scammers and other malevolent actors are willing to exploit AI tools, including apparently harmless image generators, for unscrupulous purposes. Government regulators and cybersecurity experts must find a way to address such threats while protecting innovation and the digital freedoms of ordinary people. Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 4% chance that human brain emulation will be the first successful route to human-level digital intelligence. In our next story, a judge clears the way for a defamation suit against Trump. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, The Hill, UPI, and Politico. U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan has ruled that E. Jean Carroll may pursue a $10 million defamation case against Donald Trump, having won a $5 million jury verdict for sexual abuse and defamation against the former president last month. The lawsuit accuses Trump of doubling down on his remarks against Carroll during a CNN town hall one day after the May ruling, which concluded there was not enough evidence to prove claims of rape but awarded her $2 million for sexual abuse and $3 million for defamation. May's jury verdict was separate from Carroll's initial 2019 lawsuit, which specifically accused Trump of defamation when she, first aired her, when she first aired her allegations. This latest lawsuit revolves around Trump calling the May verdict fake news and Carroll a whack job. Both cases arose after Carol alleged that Trump had raped her in the dressing room of a department store in the 1990s. While Judge Kaplan's decision does not ensure compensation, Carol's attorney, Roberta Kaplan, unrelated to Judge Kaplan, stated they would look forward to proceeding with the claims. 
A trial for the lawsuit has been consistently delayed as courts determine whether Trump can be sued for personal comments made while president, with Judge Kaplan calling the Justice Department to decide by July 13th. Thanks, Eric. We're going to start off with an anti-Trump narrative provided by Jezebel. Many have become desensitized in the constant development concerning Donald Trump, who continues to attempt to gaslight his way out of serving prison time. Trump continues to face legal repercussions against Carroll simply because he is unable to keep quiet. His legal woes continue to pile up by the day. A pro-Trump narrative comes from Western Journal. Carol appears to be trying to continue to monetize her claims against the former president. Other Democratic figures, including President Biden, have faced similar accusations and deserves at least the same amount of scrutiny as Trump. And there's a nerd narrative that says there's a 43 percent chance that Donald Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030, according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Before 2030. It's what I was going to say. In some of the other nerd narratives, they've got Donald Trump being jailed or incarcerated before 2024. Yeah, but what's the what's the percentage on those? I think it's pretty high on those, too. Is it really? Like in the 21 percent range? I guess they're predicting that he might go to jail this year and then get out. And then before 2030, he's going to do something stupid again and go back to jail. That, you know, you could be right. That's probably what. And so that's a pretty good chance that he's just going to keep screwing up. That's right. A U.S. judge grants a restraining order in the Microsoft Activision deal. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Yahoo Finance, Guardian, Barron's, and Forbes. On Tuesday, a federal district court judge in California granted a request from the U.S. Federal Trade Commissions to block Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard by issuing a temporary restraining order. However, Judge Edward Davila didn't rule on the request of a preliminary injunction. A different judge will oversee a hearing in that aspect on June 22nd or 23rd. The FTC has argued that Microsoft's $69 billion buyout of the maker of the video game Call of Duty would unfairly give it exclusive rights to Activision games. Similarly, British competition authorities have blocked the deal, but it has been approved by the EU. Davila said the temporary restraining order is necessary to maintain the status quo, as this case moves forward. Microsoft and Activision reached an agreement in January of 2022, setting a July 18, 2023 deadline to complete the deal. The two sides could negotiate an extension. If the deal falls through, Microsoft must pay a $3 billion breakup fee. Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. The first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from New York Times. The FTC has made it its mission to rein in big tech and other large companies to protect consumers. This suit is the latest blow against an attempt at creating a monopoly. Best of all, countries around the world are uniting to fight these types of deals to limit the scope of Microsoft, Google, Meta, and Amazon. That's followed up with an establishment critical narrative written by the New York Post. The FTC and other worldwide regulatory bodies are overreaching and harming both innovation and the profitability of these companies just to be spiteful. In this case, Microsoft has made numerous concessions to prove it's not going to harm consumers, and yet it's still being forced to make its case in court. I had girlfriends in the past that were that charged me a breakup fee. <laughs> you had girlfriends in the past? I did. I did. Thank you very much for <laughs> acknowledging that. I appreciate it. 
In our next story, Malaysia asks Interpol to investigate a comedian who made an MH370 joke. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, BBC News, New York Times, and CNN. A U.S.-based comic is under investigation by Malaysian authorities over a joke she made about the 2014 disappearance of Malaysia Airlines flight MH370. Police Chief Akril Sani Abdullah said Interpol will be asked to help find the location and full identity of the comic. A video posted on social media depicted the comedian Jocelyn Chia performing a routine about the rivalry between Singapore and Malaysia at a New York City comedy club. When stating that Malaysian planes, quote, cannot fly, she equipped, quote, Malaysian Airlines going missing, not funny, huh? Some jokes don't land. <laughs> An apparent reference to flight MH370. Chia, a U.S. national raised in Singapore, was condemned by Singapore's foreign affairs minister for her horrendous comments. The venue the joke was performed received over 4,000 one-star reviews on Google, with the clip being removed from TikTok for hateful behavior. Roughly 100 protesters gathered before the U.S. Embassy and Kuala Lumpur on Friday, led by the youth wing of the United Malays National Organization Political Party. In an interview, Chia said she stood by her joke in its entirety, but understood the poor impression made by an out-of-context social media clip. She has performed the joke more than 100 times without issue, and that Malaysian audience members she met do not take offense to it. Amnesty International says that 87 individuals have been prosecuted by Malaysia between 2020 and June 2022 under laws governing speech and expression. Flight MH370 disappeared over the Indian Ocean in 2014, with 227 passengers and 14 crew members aboard. Thank you, Eric, for the facts. We've got a Narrative A spin on this story provided by China Daily. Chia's joke was deeply hurtful to the people of Malaysia. Comedians need to direct their jokes towards those that deserve scorn, not the victims of a terrible and unresolved tragedy. To upload this skit onto social media is also to slander the good name of Malaysia, which Chia seems to think is an acceptable thing to do. This was a tasteless act and appropriate consequences for her actions are understandable. Narrative B comes from Hindustan Times. Malaysia's overreaction to a comedy routine has only increased the profile of the comedian and made the country look foolish for trying to get Interpol involved over a joke. Singapore and Malaysia have a friendly rivalry, and it is common for comedians to use the news and current events for comedic effects. This embarrassing move by Malaysia to try and cancel her freedom of expression has made more people aware of this joke and helped Chia sell more tickets. I don't know about you. I, I have the pet. I actually have, I guess she's got her own doll. I've got the Chia pet. <laughs> it's really cool. It grows. <laughs> I, I think this is just a slippery slope. This is, yeah, it uh, is. A, again, uh, I mean... When you start locking up comedians, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got a lot of comedians you're going to have to lock up because I'm sure a lot of comedians have. have uh, it just spawns more jokes. It's just going to spawn more jokes. I mean, a comedian's job is to push the line. Sure. However far you can push it. I mean, Lenny Bruce used to get arrested for saying things on stage so much less than what is said on stage now. Yeah. I think supporting supporting the comedian is always the way to go. Because if you don't have comedians, you've got nobody really telling you what the world looks like. Right. And in our final story today, a recent study 
shows that there's a sharp decline in people's interest in the news. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Reuters, Fox News, Yahoo Sports, and Reuters Institute. In its annual digital news report, Oxford University's Reuters Institute reported that people around the world are significantly less interested in the news, with only 48% very or extremely interested in 2023, down from 63% in 2017. There has been a 10% decrease among those accessing news via a website or app since 2018, while younger demographics have strongly moved to platforms like TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat, preferring to receive their information from celebrities and influencers. Also, 55% and 52% of TikTok and Instagram users respectively receive their news from social media personalities, while 33% of TikTok users and 42% of Instagram users view news from mainstream outlets on the platforms. TikTok was the fastest-growing app for news consumption, with 20% of 18- to 24-year-olds using the app for news, compared to 15% last year. Meanwhile, TV and print outlets continued to decline. In addition to their waning interest, people trust the news less, with 40% of people surveyed saying they trust, quote, most news most of the time. Finland has the highest trust in the news at 69%, while Greece had the lowest at 19%, and the U.S. was in the middle at 32%. The growing prevalence of global crises, including the war in Ukraine and rampant inflation, has caused many to avoid the news, with 36% saying they, quote, sometimes or often actively avoid the news. Adam, thanks for the facts of that story. Our first spin is an establishment critical narrative coming from FS News. It sounds counterintuitive, but the more news people consume, the more depressed and uninformed they become. People are constantly inundated with news stories, many of which are tragic, biased, and designed to keep us wanting more because the media is a profit-driven industry only concerned with clicks and views, and not the quality of the product. As the media continues to decay, so will people's interest. And we're going to wrap things up with a pro-establishment narrative provided by Axia PR. Despite its problems, the media will always be an important part of an informed citizen's world. The news is vitally important for a society that looks to keep in touch with the surrounding world and make informed decisions. Of course, misinformation and sad subjects cause problems, but that shouldn't stop people from being informed and engaged. Using deliberate ignorance as a crutch is foolish. I know the perfect place where people can get their news all laid out for them, nice and clear. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, June 15th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team that extracts both the key facts that all the articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.